Hi, welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so glad you are here today. Today, my guest is Dow Jensen. She is the founder of Oak Rocket, which is a cloud solutions company that she started in 2013. She's also in YPO with me. I actually met her when we did a girl's trip to Bali in April of 2023. And oh my gosh, she is on fire. She is such an amazing human being who has gone through significant transformations in her life. Uh, she left corporate America to become a founder when she never thought about uh, being an entrepreneur. She went through a divorce uh, right before she started her business. She lost her daughter last year. And she has such a view on life that is worth sharing and an energy that is contagious. And she's absolutely brilliant. And I know you are going to love this interview. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Dow. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have my dear friend, Dow Jensen, with me. Dow, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Carrie, for having me. It's very excited to talk to you. Yes. Well, you have such an interesting background in history, and we're going to talk about transformation today. But before we get started, why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about your company and uh, what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, Oak Rocket is a cloud transformation company. We help people migrate and do digital uh, transformation into the cloud, uh, AI, Gen AI, and we also help people save money on their cloud billing, AWS, Azure, Google, um, especially when people are remote and they don't want to be stuck in a data center anymore. And what made you start the business? I was not making the corporate ladder executive fast enough. So I wanted to be CFO, CRO, or CXO of any type, like CEO. And I was running into a lot of roadblocks as a woman Asian Silicon Valley executive, and I really didn't have the patience to wait to not do something. It was a vice president who was in sales with me that saw my skill set and said, you know what, you probably would be better off for entrepreneurship. And I had never thought about it before. And so why do you think you ran into roadblocks? What were you hearing? I think I was more opinionated than they wanted me to be. They wanted me to stay in my lane, right? You're in sales. You don't need to give us marketing tips. You don't need to tell us how to run forecasting and operations. And so I think that was where I was running into roadblocks is I don't diplomatically play the bureaucracy game or the political game as well as most people. If I see something, I want to speak my mind and be able to say, let's try to make a change. And so what gave you the idea for Oak Rocket for going into the particular industry that you're in? Yeah, so I've been in tech sales forever, but never did cloud AWS, cloud computing. And I really just talked to my customers who had followed me through large companies down to smaller companies. I thought going to smaller companies was going to be easier for me, you know, being a bigger fish in a smaller pond and to be able to come as CEO. And it wasn't the case. And when I went to talk to my clients, they were telling me where the macroeconomics was going. Even if they weren't spending money in AWS, they were seeing a trend there. And so I picked something that I felt was a trend. At the time, they weren't being able to really report revenues of what AWS did versus Amazon. And so we were kind of making a gut decision on the fact that we were seeing a lot of people move in that direction. It was only a few years later that we realized the amount of billions Amazon was doing in AWS cloud and that it was the only profitable side of their business in Amazon that's keeping the rest of the company afloat is AWS. 
And so did you start the company on your own or did you leave with your VP? How did that happen? I started the company on my own. I bootstrapped it with $40,000 and I had actually customer VPs who took tests for me so that we could have the certifications that we needed because I was not technical, right? And most people who were in the cloud business at the time were technical consulting companies. And so that is a significant transition, right? You're climbing the corporate ladder, working for other people, never thought about being an entrepreneur. And now all of a sudden you're going to go for it. What did that feel like? What What was going through your mind at that time? Oh my gosh, I was so scared. And like I said, it wasn't something I was planning, but I think you run into people in your life that are lucky at the right time. My boyfriend I was dating at the time had had his own company since he out of college and my customers wanted to be entrepreneurs. So they wanted to support me. I didn't even know how to do a registration of a business. So really this was from scratch, going and doing networking at AWS events, learning the ecosystem, figuring out what I was selling as well as who I had to work with. And it was really thrilling, but on the other hand, really scary. And you don't know when you're making mistakes and you are going to make mistakes. But as long as those mistakes don't stop you from growing, um, so far it's worked. So those are what people might consider a pretty significant risk. Yeah. Was that in your personality? Have you lived your life like that, taking those types of risks? Tell us a little bit about how you view risk-taking, especially through the lens of your own transformation. Yeah, you know me so well, Carrie, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I do go on the edge of everything in life. I was the first Asian youth governor in the state of Minnesota at 17, and I didn't realize I was any different than any of the white kids there, right? I see myself as what we call a banana. So white Asian on the outside, but really white on the inside because I grew up in Minnesota. But my parents didn't see it that way. And so when I ran for governor, they didn't even think I could win and asked me to my representatives to have me quit. And so doing things like that were out of the box and becoming pregnant at 19 and quitting my full ride for someone I loved only for nine months. I mean, that's risk taking, right? As well as getting divorced 14 years later, having four kids and then starting a business with a six bedroom house in the city of San Francisco with a $40,000 runway. I bootstrapped the company, had no business partners, followed nothing that the Harvard Business School case studies say you should do. And the good thing was, though, I had good mentors. Like, even though I say I didn't move the corporate ladder fast enough, I actually did make some very good relationships and had respect from people like John W. Thompson, who became the chairman of the board of Microsoft. He was CEO at Symantec at the time. Everyone has their own path, and he saw that I needed to do a different path and wished me well um, as I moved to smaller and smaller companies. So I I would say you have to be a risk taker and you have to have the gut for it, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you can do it alone. You need people around you to talk to and you need people who believe in you sometimes more than you believe in yourself. And I talk about that in my talk. Uh, You can find it on YouTube of Dow Jensen, how to get up in the face of setbacks. And so let's talk a little bit about a few of those setbacks that you had. So you start this business, you have customer support. Tell us about those first couple of years and did you have to pivot? What was that like? No, absolutely. Even though we said we were an Amazon web services company, we took any order we could. So whether it was hardware, renewals, anything we could to just build revenue was what we did probably for the first three years. Probably around year five was when we started saying, you know what, now we're going to be our true selves and focus only on cloud because we figured out the industry. We want to be a pure EBITDA play on cloud only because hardware pulled down the multiplier of a company. And we started making that shift in 2017. And I think it's done well for us. And how about from a leadership perspective? Now you're a CEO of your own company and building teams. 
what was that like? And maybe describe a mistake that you made on your leadership journey. I think there's so many mistakes we make in leadership journey. This could take us hours and days to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but when you're bootstrapped and you don't have a lot of funding, first of all, no one I didn't think was going to go give me money for never having been a successful CEO before. And you pay for what you get. And you would have to train people into an industry. I took a mathematics teacher and taught her how to do accounting in, in cloud and how to work with resellers. So the growth was longer and the negotiations with people giving them titles isn't something you should always give people right away because once they come into your company, one of the things I even see today is they feel like you can't run your business without them. And yeah. as an entrepreneur and a business owner, you never want to have one single throat to choke even yourself in running the business. So anyone who says to me, we can't run this company any further without this person will fold. I'll say, if we're folding because I die, there's no reason we're going to fold because someone else is gone. We should be the right leaders to get everything in place in terms of SOPs and guidelines. And those are things that scare me. When people come to me and say, you can't run this business without me, you will ultimately go away. Then you start playing an extra strategy for them. So tell us a little bit more about building that team. Have you kept your team around for a long time? Did you have to turn over people as you were figuring this out? I did. Sadly, I am not the great case study of someone who's been with, having lots of employees who've been with me for over the last 10 years. I feel that even the difference of one year and having no products and ideas and customers to when you have a dozen customers, people don't always grow with the way you do things and people have a sense of ownership and you start bringing other people in and they start having a sense of, you know, not teamwork. Sadly, right? You want everyone to grow together, but life and personalities go on. And unfortunately, over time, you lose people. Also, you have to let them grow. When we bring people in and train them in a certain area and they grow fast enough, they need to go somewhere else because we're not that big. And they realize yeah. as they get distinguished in their job that they want to go do only development and not development and sales. I've really noticed that as we've grown our company, you know, starting off small, getting bigger, or people who wore multiple hats have to narrow down and just do one thing. And it's hard for me to make that transition. We even had to allow one of our employees to go run for councilman, Minneapolis councilman, yeah. Yeah. right before George Floyd. I didn't want to lose him. He had built everything. And then he went and was councilman for two years plus. And it was the hardest job he ever had. Eventually he asked, could I come back? And it was a very different perspective for him. And sometimes you have to let people and want people to go follow their dreams. But I, I think one thing I can say is that the people who've left are still very loyal, mostly, and want to see Oak Rocket do well. But I do look at some of these companies and like, wow, they have people who've been there for 20-something years. Is that good or not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know. I question that, too. I've been at Stone Age for 17 years. But, you know, I think the thing has that's been really interesting is just when you're constantly transferring forming and and disrupting the industry. It's like I've had in my CEO career of 15 years, I've had like six different versions of that job. And there's always that ability to grow. And it's like, it's so hard to believe that I've spent so much of my career running this company. And for a long time, I questioned it. Like maybe I should go do something else. No, uh, but like you said, then I always come you've transformed it so yeah. much. You've acquired so many companies. Mm -hmm. You're looking at what's next, yeah. right? That's what's kept you yeah. interested. Yeah. I think if I wouldn't have been able to do that, this company would have somehow become stagnant, which I can never imagine because that is not my style. <laughs> no. Uh, I think that that's where it really would have been like, okay, it's time to go do something different. Because let's face it, if you're not growing, you're dying. You've got to continuously be investing in your skills and your knowledge and your experience 
That's part of our evolution as leaders. And if you're not failing, you're also not exactly trying hard enough to transform and change. Yep, that's right. So that's a great segue into your talk that you give about bouncing back from setbacks. Can you talk a little bit about why you speak about bouncing back from setbacks and really how that's helped you become where you are today? Yeah, and I love talking to you because you've experienced the same things in your life, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the world overall would be such a better place if we supported people who fell down and believed in them and knew that they could be someone else, even though they might not be that exact person today, right? Being a teenage pregnant mom was not the thing I expected as a straight-A student. Someone who was going to be president of the United States and change the 22nd Amendment and be the first immigrant to run for president of the United States. That wasn't, this isn't the life I was expecting at 19. And I think why I do these talks is because, especially in the Southeast Asian culture, divorce is faux pas, teenage pregnancy is faux pas, losing a child is a faux pas, like you're a bad parent. And if we can all have people around us that support us and say, that wasn't your fault, or if it was, you can still change your life. We would have such a better country and a better world if we didn't just push people down because they failed once or twice. Yeah, I agree. We are so filled with judgment about, even though we love comeback stories, um, but we only love comeback stories when they involve certain things, you know, like addiction for me, that's a tough one for people to absorb. Like, I mean, I still have people, even though that was so far in the past, still look at me like, really? Like you had a severe enough addiction that you overdosed? And they think of people that you see on the streets of San Francisco thinking like that's what it must be like. And it's really hard to overcome those preconceived notions that people have of you and break through to live a better life. It's why people can't sometimes get ahead is because the system really holds them down. And it takes a lot of perseverance and self-esteem to be able to break through those stigmas that are put upon you. Yeah. So that's why I do the talks is because I think we could change this world so much more and have so much better leaders if we just gave people courage to get back up when they fall, whether it's their fault or not, or it's just life to be able to come back and bring and put meaning back into the world and love. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about divorce. We don't talk a lot about that, but being an executive leader, I know that you got divorced right before you started your business. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So Talk a little bit about what that was like, because I know that that was a really difficult decision for you. And how did that impact the way that you were showing up in your business? And do you think that it was part of what made you decide, that's it, I'm going to go do this on my own. I'm going to go do something for myself. Well, I think part of the reason I got divorced is because my husband at the time did not want me to take a uh, job that had fluctuation and wasn't steady, right? He was a banker and felt that that was risky enough. He wanted me to still make my $700,000 and keep having child number five and number six and number seven, and I was bored. And at some point, someone else's desire to be able to lead their own career and not give you a chance to grow can stagnate you. And I didn't want my children to see me do that. I didn't, it took me three years to get divorced, learn how to do my own taxes, put my footing in, and then be able to start a company. But I wouldn't say that even my divorce was the, uh, like I ran right into starting a company. I was looking to go be part of startups and smaller companies that were more risky. At the time, I thought even working for a $7,000, a 7,000 employee company was small, right? And here I am running a 20 something person company, right? And so it's our views in life are different as we get older and our risk tolerance. 
But I had to learn to be myself, and I couldn't be myself safely by being married to him anymore. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And then you've had another tragedy hit you recently where you lost your teenage daughter. And I know how difficult that has been for you. You know, would you share a little bit about the impact that's had on you and, and how that's affected your outlook on life? And it, has it caused another transformation for you? Yeah, I think I'm in the middle of that transformation. I'm not sure I can tell you what that is exactly yet. Um, I had lost my mother in 2020. I lost my dad in 2023, February, less than six months later, and he was living with me. So it was actually a year yesterday. That was his one year anniversary. I lost my daughter unexpectedly. She was 16. And I was very depressed after my parents were died. But for my daughter, it was such a shock that it was like, I can't sit still and be depressed and not do events and activities. I need to have her spirit keep living. I want her beauty and imperfections to be known around the world. And so it really got me up to start doing talks and think about being the Tony Robbins for Southeast Asia. You know, I don't think Asian women can look at a Tony Robbins and say, I relate to him and everything he's having right. me do. And also that he understands the cultural implications of a daughter of an Asian parent and what they expect out of you. You, you shame them by being a teenage pregnant mom or having a divorce. I was actually the only person in my family that my parents allowed to give a divorce to out of six girls. And so with Anne Katrine's passing, it's been very profound. I couldn't stop talking about her. I couldn't stop, you know, not being able to uh, make it worthwhile. So it's caused me to be closer to my children. It's caused me to reevaluate how hard I am on certain situations at work or how I won't let it affect me because in the scheme of things, it's very minuscule. And you realize that personalities are so important in terms of the time you spend with someone. You'll never have enough time. And, and that is the fact of life of Wabi Sabi, right? Life is temporary. You, you have friends, they go away. You have parents, they go away. But you're not used to thinking that you're going to have a young child go yeah, it really does show you the impermanence of everything. Yeah. yeah. So what does the Tony Robbins of Asia look like <laughs> for you? Yeah, so I think people have a hard time getting in front of stage, like you said, and talking about their failures, their mistakes, mm -hmm. and how they got back up. And what does that mean that you need in order to get back up? Because when I was a teenage pregnant mom, I was, it's still feels like the worst time of my life versus when I lost my daughter. And you can't even compare the two. Like my daughter was the worst loss I've had or the worst situation I've had, but it's because I had such a community around me, number one, that sees me for more than I am and love me versus at 19, your community is still young. They're trying to figure out each other and it's just your parents and siblings, right? Like you don't have a and lot of mentors. And a ton of judgment. And a ton, right? of, judgment. And a ton of judgment. Yeah, at yeah. 19, I was a darling child who was a youth governor, and then all of a sudden I became a teenage pregnant mom and quit college in a full ride. Um, so yeah. number one is having a community around you that I had built in the last 16 to 27 years. And then two, doing more schooling in your head and brain than just what schooling does for you. So I call it NLP, which Tony talks about. It's like everyone wants to focus on the past and how they can change things, and it doesn't do anything productive for you. Anger is like a poison pill. You swallow it and you expect the other person to die, but really you're like creating bad energy inside you and creating cancer inside you. And that's a lot of training. And I happened to start doing that after my divorce. So that training and being able to go to Harvard on a scholarship at the age of 42 with a CEO program and the people I met who come from family and wealth or who've done exceedingly well in their industry 
who am I as a $10 million business when I first came into that program? And they see you for like, wow, well, if I had nothing like you, I wouldn't be where you are at. And the mutual respect you have from other people. And then the third part is really understanding that life is temporary. And if I only had 13 years left to live like Martin Luther King or we did, would we live our life the same way day to day? And so I spend more of my time talking so that women who feel like I'm not advocating divorce, but how can you change NLP between you and your husband or your significant other partner and be able to still live a life you both love powerfully, but with respect. And I wish I had done that during my marriage instead of afterwards alone without him. Yeah, absolutely. And what does NLP stand for? Just so Neuroling- Yeah, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistics yeah. Program. So yeah. uh, Joe Dispenza, The Untethered Soul yes. are some very good books I recommend. Yeah, definitely. I just finished The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, who also wrote The Untethered Soul. And yes, it's so good. I don't like the word surrender. I like trust. Like instead of just surrendering, it's like I trust. I trust that the universe knows better than me. And so how do I let it flow rather than trying to orchestrate every outcome, which is pretty much the story of my life. And it's a really fascinating way to look at life when you start to say, how do I manifest what I want? How do I attract what I want in life? And how do I really be unattached to the out to my likes and dislikes and let life flow? It's not easy to do, but it's a really powerful mentality. Life is sometimes planned for us, no matter how we try to plan for ourselves and prepare for things. And you know, the secret, like you said, the manifestation, that is all NLP really in the long run. Yeah. And I call it shoots and ladders, the game that we played as a kid, right? We're all yeah. going to get down a slide at some point. How do you figure out at one point to find that ladder that gets you to make up for that time? I mean, Walmart was not created until his age of 50, neither was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I'm not even 50 yet. I think there's so much we can do in such a five-year period versus a one-year period. I just don't think there's enough people who get open-minded to this and they're so hard on themselves on what is imperfect about them or the failures that they had or the losses that they've had that they couldn't overcome and move their heart forward to open up and and try and and be more risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea. I play with the idea in my head. It's the, the doing the dance, the dance between trying to make things happen and let things happen. Because I think a lot of people get what they get wrong about manifesting is that you just wish it to be true and then it happens and that's not true. There always has to be action uh, with your intention. And so that's why I think it's like this really beautiful way to look at it is like sometimes just you have to go make things happen and sometimes you have to let things happen. And so how do you do that dance of letting things happen and making things happen so that it's not so hard and that when something doesn't happen the way you want it to, you're not attached to it. So there's less suffering. And if we could all practice that, I think life would be better for, for every single human being on this planet. Well, and every quote unquote failure opens a door for something new opportunity, yeah. right? I mean, right. it happened for a reason for us to learn. If we don't learn from it, that's the problem. And I think you're right. It's success is when preparation meets opportunity. Right? right. You can't just sit back and hope that success will happen if you aren't preparing to. Yeah, I agree. So how does the speaking play into what you are trying to build with Oak Rocket? You know, what does that look like? Do they converge? Do they separate? You know, what do you see five years down the road? I, I think they converge in many ways. Like I have clients who have me come to speak to their leadership team yeah. now and to their employees so that it's not just about us handling their cloud business, but really as a partner that 
is here to give a resource to them and their, their organization, right? The, the biggest value you have is your people and, and what they can do and how they can live a life powerfully and when they love at work and out of work. And so that's where it converges. But on the other hand, I hope to build this business so that I have the right executives in place and become a serial entrepreneur where, you know, my next venture may be Asian mole with my six, my sisters and call it six sisters or something, because I love food. Technology is not my only love. And I want to be able to make sure that I'm dabbling and giving in other ways, like speaking in front of audiences. It brings me joy. It brings me opportunity to meet unique people around the world as I go talk around the world. And you wouldn't have that chance to be spotlighted if you were just in an audience and then having to go talk to someone, right? You have Marjorie Dixit, who's like a Hollywood Bollywood star, the women who did projects for the moon and the rocket ship in India, like come talk to you when you've talked and you've touched their lives and you've touched something in their soul. That's what I get out of the talking. So whether or not it converges with Oak Rocket, I still make time for it. But I think there are times when it absolutely makes sense for one, our team to see that we're doing this and the people that we move in our customer base, especially the younger generation. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Because that's all you and I have. How can we help the younger generation learn from us and learn from our mistakes and inspire them to be even better stewards of the universe? Yep, I agree. I share your sentiment exactly. People ask me all the time, like, why do you, why did you write a book? And why do you speak all the time? And it's bigger impact. And it is absolutely woven together. My whole philosophy is around this idea of the ownership mindset. When you own everything that happens in your life, you are so empowered to change your life, to make your life better. But when you are blaming time or a situation or even yourself, you stay stuck. And I know how owning all of my shit really did allow me to transform my life. And it's allowed me to transform this company through this idea of teaching people how to think and act like owners and the responsibility that comes with that. And it's such a powerful way to live your life. And if I can just inspire one person in an audience to take lean into that responsibility and own everything that happens in their life and their career, then that's the kind of impact that I want to leave behind. And hopefully I can do it on a much broader level and that I am doing it on a much broader level. But that's what matters, right? Is that we're all here to inspire each other. Like I am inspired by so many people, by you, by, you know, brilliant people who are out there doing big things. And why shouldn't we be able to inspire others with our stories as well? Yeah, no, I think that one thing that always sticks out to me that I talk to some of the young girls is they go, I was taught not to take up a lot of space. Yeah. And I, they said, so how can I change my mind to think about that? And I said, look, it, it's like when you talk about transformation and space, it comes together. You're a caterpillar. And if you don't have the space yeah. to spread your wings once you've transformed, no one can see the beauty that's within all of those pieces and layers of those wings that yeah. took you to get yeah. you there. And then if you can't yeah. see, if you don't show your beauty, how can people come and say, let me take advantage of your beauty? Or like, yeah. how can you help me or I help you if you aren't seen? And so yeah. I'm trying to change their minds to just think that way, yeah. that space yeah. is important to have and being seen, yeah. not just who you know, but who knows you is more important. Yeah. I just had this really interesting experience. So I just got back from my chapter, YPO chapter retreat in Colombia, And I was the only female member who went. We only have, what's a new, relatively new chapter. We're building it. <clears throat> and there's only, I think, four or five women in it. And I didn't know until right before we were going to the trip that I was the only female member. And luckily, I live in a male-dominated world. So 
I was like, okay, well, you know, I would prefer there to be other women, but I can handle myself. And right. And so one night we were all out and I was like, okay, I'm going to set some ground rules here. <laughs> and so I like gathered all the men in the chapter around. And I was like, okay, I just need to say this right now. And one of my fellow chapter mates came up to me afterwards and he said, that was unbelievable. What you just did there, I am going home and I'm telling my daughters about this. And, you know, for me, I'm just so used to being able to take up the space that I can own and be comfortable putting myself out there and setting boundaries and having those kinds of conversations. We make ourselves small. We don't say what needs to be said because we think that it's going to hurt people's feelings or make us look bad or that we're going to somehow get ridiculed or fail. But boy, when you start putting yourself out there and saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm okay with and this is what I'm not okay with, you start to be able to create those boundaries that people will eventually respect, but you have to start somewhere. And it was a really, you know, it was in the moment type thing, but it was a, a really powerful reminder to me of how rarely that happens and how powerful it is when you do, when you take up your space and you put yourself out there and you say, this is who I am. This is what I'm good with. This is what I'm not good with. I was talking to another person about not that particular, not what happened, but we were talking about when women feel like, when do women feel like, we're talking about Harvey Weinstein, right? We're talking about when women feel like they don't have a voice and We were talking about, is it a man-woman thing? And I said, no, I think it's a status and power thing. (laughs) And when you do not feel like you have equal power or equal status, it's really hard to speak up. It's really hard to set those boundaries. And that can be in any kind of a relationship, whether, you know, it's in Hollywood or it's a, a husband and wife in a small town. Power and status really matter for making it safe to speak up. And so I think if anybody wants to encourage people to speak up, especially in like in your company, for example, you have to understand the power dynamics and work really hard to minimize that so it does feel safer. And of course, there are lots of people who use it to their advantage who can keep people down and keep voices quiet. But that power and status, that really is what does so much damage especially with women and not feeling comfortable to stand their ground or speak up. Yeah, but like you said, you and I have been used to being in a very male-dominated industry. Yeah. So it's maybe been easier for us now after having done it for decades, but for women and men who aren't used to being able to have that dramatic difference, right? They don't feel like they have to sometimes or they don't have someone to support them to do it because it's like, oh, you're just another one of the girls. So why wouldn't you be that way? And that's what I really like about an organization like YPO. It's that... I feel like I have equal status. I've built a great company and I deserve that seat at the table and I deserve to have my voice, but that comes with power and status. And I don't ever take that for granted. You know, I understand that that has something that I've had to really work for. I know 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for sure, there were times where I didn't feel like I had that yet. I didn't have the experience or the success to really be able to stand up for something that I believed in. It was just easier to keep quiet. And so I think it's why it's really important for us to help the next generation, like you said, both men and women find their authentic voice and be able to speak up for themselves and also at the same time make space for other people to do the same. And we're not living in a world, at least in our politics and the things that we see on news that make room for that. 
But I think we as leaders, it's really important for us to do it because it is how we bring that future generation forward. I think the sad part I run into a lot, too, is people who don't have a love and passion. And they said, you knew what you wanted to be when you were young, but I still haven't found that. How do what am I supposed to do? Because that's what drives us. Right. And so the only thing we can encourage people is to try things out, to test it out. You know, people don't test and try things out because they worry about failure. I agree. Well, I did not know what I wanted to be, and I was completely lost. And uh, I tried lots of different things, and this role fell into my lap. It was a, you know, never should have happened. But what I did is I followed my heart. I said, I need to be home. I need to, you know, I went left when I should have gone right, and I need to figure out how to get back onto a different path. And it was in that that lowest moment of my life when I said, okay, I have to rebuild my life. I have to do something different. That huge opportunity arose. And I think that's what people need to understand is that there's not just going to be this perfect path of understanding what you want to do with your life, of knowing right out of college what your passion is. You have to try things. You have to take risks. And if you aren't happy... You are responsible for that. And sometimes you might just have to take a U-turn and go backwards and figure it out. Yeah, I think the thing that the next transformation I'm trying to get to is being able to get to a point to be able to share all parts of my life that I've experienced and tried and tested and not have that. Actually, the hardest critics or the biggest concerns is not about people criticizing me, but people criticizing my children and my siblings and family members because they are related to me. And they don't respect or appreciate a divorcee or they don't respect or appreciate a teenage pregnant mom who wants to be. And so I think those and there's many other stories, like you said, that I will only tell you right now that I'm still not even ready to put on a book yet. But I've been encouraged to because by having done it and tried a lot of these things that we don't feel comfortable to talk about, it's the only way to help other people who run into situations that they don't know how to handle or they think is the wrong path. Who says traditional marriage is the only way anymore, especially when we as women like you and I have a hard time finding men who make more than we do or are as ambitious. And, you know, I might not want that. I might want someone who's more family oriented or I might want it. And it might take me a longer time and be single for a lot longer. And the Midwest where I grew up and where you live was like, why are you not married now after 15 years? I just love your spirit, your soul, your insight. It's been so much fun having you on the show. I do have one last question to ask you before we wrap up and you can tell people how to find you. The name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Oh, that's great because we've been talking about forward for a lot of the board stuff that I've been doing for other people. And it means being able to be in motion, not necessarily being able to be stuck somewhere and thinking that there are obstacles in your way that won't get you there. And until those obstacles or those situations happen, you then can move forward, right? And so reflect forward means look at your past and see what you learned from it, but do not use it as a predicament of moving forward, nor do let certain requirements be the reason why you can't move forward. There's always something you can do to move forward. And even if that just means walking and talking to people without anything that you get out of it, reflection is really important, but you can't let the past reflection affect you moving forward and being in motion for too long. I love it. Beautiful answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So how can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me at Dow Jensen on LinkedIn or Dow at Oak Rocket in Instagram. Perfect. And do you have a YouTube channel? 
I do not. Or is but your, if just you your, go, your, just your talk is on. Okay. Yeah. So if you go onto YouTube and look Dow face of setbacks or getting up in the face of setbacks, you'll find it immediately. Perfect. And I'll include all of that in the show links. So Dow, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been such a fun conversation. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. <laughs> I can't wait to see you in person again soon. Thanks, Carrie. Me too. Me too. Take care. All right. Yep. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right yep. back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Please be able, please be sure to check out her talk. It is absolutely worth listening to. It's in the show notes. And that's it for this week. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Go on to your favorite podcast platform and write a review. Subscribe to it. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. It helps with the algorithms. And I always appreciate the support. Hope you have a fantastic day. And we'll see you next week.